0: Nice. I'm now I'm looking up the picture with him. Let's see where I have it, because Frank and I took a picture. <laughs> Let's see where it is. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so that was really nice to meet him and, uh, and see his work. to a Karma Dentistry Podcast. Uh, uh, today we have David as our guest, um, and I will start with a little intro- introduction about David. David completed his undergraduate training at Griffith University in Queensland, and after his graduation, he followed a postgraduate program in orthodontics and dentofacial orthopedics in London, and he is now a clinical instructor for dentists completing the, the program in Australia. Uh, His passion for surgery led him to complete a master's in oral implantology in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, And you can see David's work on Instagram. He has around 17,000 followers right now. And he mainly focuses on restorative and implant dentistry in combination with documentation and comprehensive treatment planning. And he's also starting a course called called Illuminate with Bharat Agarwal about clinical photography and case presentation. Uh, Frank and I know David for a year, a year and a half now, uh, through, through Instagram. So it's nice to finally have him in our uh, in our podcast. David is uh, is Australian he, he, and he lives in uh, uh, in Sydney. Um, so, David, welcome. Um, let's start with the beginning. Uh, why did you want to become a dentist in the first place?
2: Well, for me, actually, dentistry wasn't. The first thing on top of my list of what I wanted to do after I finished school, um, coming from an Egyptian background, it's kind of, you've got that ethnic pressure from your parents to you know, either do medicine or law or pharmacy. Pharmacy was a big one. So from a young age, I always wanted to do pharmacy, always wanted to do pharmacy, but also from a young age, I was very practical. So growing up, I played a lot of soccer. I played a lot of table tennis, I played tennis, I watched soccer, I watched tennis live. So I was a very, very active person and a very, very practical person. I I always wanted to either use my hands or kind of see the fruits of labor when it comes to um, either leisure or or work. So I did get into uh, pharmacy and I spent one year doing pharmacy. Um, Around about that time, pharmacy was becoming very uh, corporate. So a lot of uh, big companies were taking over pharmacies and as an industry, it was, it was struggling a little bit here in Australia. So I had gotten marks that were probably good enough to get me into dentistry or medicine at the time, but uh, we have a lot of auxiliary um, examinations that you need to sit in order to get you into uh, a dental program or even to get an interview at least. So um, that, that exam that helps to get into medicine, I actually didn't do too well in. So I decided, you know, I've always wanted pharmacy. That was my aim. It's what I was aiming for. So I got into into pharmacy. Um, The program was very well structured. I really enjoyed it. Um, A lot of friends had done it before me. So I kind of knew what I was getting into. Uh, I had all their notes, all their past papers, all their exams. So I kind of like, you know, it's going to be a a nice and easy road to to graduation. Um, But after a year, I kind of felt like, there's no practicality. Um, you are kind of offering first-line care, um, but you're not really doing much from the point of actually actively uh, managing patients, other than you know through uh, medicinal prescription um, and managing uh, you know some of the elderly patients with uh, what we call the um, the programs that go through their nursing homes and that sort of thing. So halfway through that first year, um, I decided to just you know sit that exam again and apply. Uh, I applied to dentistry. Uh, I applied to medicine as well. I did have dentistry higher up on my rankings. Um, and the night that the first round office came out, I was kind of, they, they came out around 1am. So I was staying up, staying up, staying up, waiting to see that whether I got in. And unfortunately, I didn't. So I got that and I was kind of like, okay, well, it's not meant to be. Um, I'll just finish off with pharmacy and then I'll go through the postgraduate pathway. Uh, The second round offers were to come out around three weeks later, Um, and I still remember that night very, very vividly. I was at church, we were playing table tennis really, really late, uh, till probably around 3 or 4 a.m. The second round offers for dentistry came out uh, at around nine o'clock, but I didn't get first round offers, so I didn't even bother to think to even go and check. I got home probably 3, 4 a.m. after just hanging out with friends and whatever, and I said, you know what, I might as well check. So I checked the offers and I got in.
0: <laughs> awesome.
2: So I, um, it was a big decision for me because I didn't get in in Sydney. I got in interstate. Um, now, uh, growing up at home, uh, usually we're not accustomed to leaving home to go and study in a different state or a different city or, or something like that. So it was a big decision for me. Um, when I got the offer, I was actually very confused as to what to do. And it took a lot of thinking. Uh, a lot of people actually told me not to do it. You know, you'll be abandoning your friends, you'll be abandoning your family and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, I had my parents supporting me and they said, you know what, I think uh, this is a good move. It's a good decision. Pharmacy is not what it used to be um, and pursue it. So the rest is history, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Um, and um, once you finished dentistry, you uh, you, did, you did several postgraduate programs um, uh, but how did dentistry become a passion that, you know, that you knew you wanted to get the, 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 the most out of, out of it?
2: Well, I think that passion grew. Um, I th- think going to university, I struggled a little bit. Um, in my second year, we had, uh, simulation tests uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and I'll actually go back to first year. First year was difficult because i got a lot of credits. So the pharmacy subjects overlapped with, um, dentistry a fair bit. Um, so in the first semester I only had one subject so I was at university one day and one hour every week the rest of the time I was kind of just sitting at home not doing much gaining a lot of weight (laughs) eating a lot of bad food Um, so it was a lot of change for me moving away from home was one thing Um, having a lot of time on my hands was another thing so it it kind of made for a cocktail that wasn't really um, a good thing at the end of it looking back obviously Uh, So, second year, I said, you know what, it's time to kind of um, put the foot on the pedal and kind of shift from a personal point of view to to feel happier living interstate and and that sort of thing. So, um, towards the end of second year, I I did fail simulation lab (laughs) twice. So, in first semester and second semester, we had a couple of exams. I remember the first one vividly was an MO amalgam preparation um, and I failed by half a mark. Uh, (laughs) um, and I'd spent time with friends who were dentists and I'm like what is this silver stuff I'm never going to be placing it anyway why are they making me prepare a tooth (laughs) for a material I'm never going to use so yeah I failed uh, that simulation uh, examination and it was a big shock for me because I'd never really failed anything before Uh, it was a shock to deliver the news to the family and you know I didn't fail the year I just had to reset the examination and I did uh, and I passed um, but it was just something that was, uh, a bit of a trial for me that I had to go through. And I think it taught me, uh, discipline. Um, but at the same point, I had these thoughts running through my mind that, you know, maybe I don't have the hands, you know, always people say, you know, he's got the hands or, um, his hands are like gold or whatever it is. So I had that thought constantly in the back of my mind, every simulation examination I did, I said, what if I don't have the hands, you know, um, I got through second year. Third year was the same, a one-five crown prep. I ended up failing by one mark, I think. And it was, I think I was almost at breaking point. I was almost at the point where I was going to say, you know what, I don't think I want to finish this. Um, I'll go out and I'll just, you know, resit the exams and try to get into medicine or whatever. Um, but I said, I'll sit the supplementaries and kind of see where we go. Uh, thankfully, I passed. Uh, I got through onto fourth and fifth year, uh, which were more heavily clinical based. Uh, And I was always kind of uh, passionate to to do well, not necessarily passionate about dentistry as a profession, but passionate to do well. Um, And when I graduated, uh, I think the first person I contacted regarding any help with any case was Barat. And it's interesting because Barat and I were years apart. He was three or four years ahead of me. Um, I met him through somebody um, and I actually attended his wedding. The first year, it was two days before I, my first day of dentistry, I attended Barat's wedding. Nice. Um, So after that time when we met uh, and hung out a little bit more and connected on social media, on Facebook, uh, back then I wasn't on Instagram, um, on Facebook, and we went through, you know, a couple of cases, I saw his passion. And passion is one of those things that's very contagious. Um, if you're in a field and you are feeling a bit dry or down, uh, and you spend a lot of time with somebody who is so passionate about what they do, it, it becomes infectious. Um, and you might not necessarily be passionate about the same thing. Um, but you become passionate about something else. It might, you know, present you with an opportunity where you say, you know what, I'll just give this little bit of uh, extra time, work hard. And if it's not meant to be, I'll move on. Um, and if you look back at kind of the postgraduate programs that I did, I think that's how my, my progression kind of went. So I was really, really passionate about ortho, really passionate. And I still am, but definitely not as much as when I first graduated. Um, I enrolled in an orthodontic program that was over two years, uh, 12 modules. Um, I always had an interest in surgery. So I knew that at some point I would kind of delve into the surgical pathway um, but I also really like multidisciplinary. Um, I like kind of putting pieces of a puzzle together and figuring out how that puzzle is supposed to look um, when you look down and you've got all the pieces there. You need to figure out a way to make them make them fit. So about a year and a half into the orthodontic program, uh, actually a year, I met a, uh, my previous employer, uh, Matthew Casey. If you guys aren't following him on Instagram, you should you know, look him up. He really inspired me to kind of uh, pursue the motivation that I had and kind of give it everything. He pushed me. He was a clinician that was doing a general practitioner that graduated 20 years ago. Uh, And back then, CPD was not as readily available as we have it now. Um, But even 17 years ago, he was all CPD. He was always bettering himself. He was always learning something new. Um, so that kind of, again, contagious, it jumped onto me. I wanted to pursue that. So I did my first life surgery course based on his recommendation. Um, I placed my first 40 or 50 implants under his guidance. He was literally in the room, holding my hand, doing those procedures, uh, any case that I couldn't do, I referred to him and I blocked out my book and I would sit down in his clinic in his, with his patient and either assist or take the photos for him, um, and he would refer the cases back to me. And, and that's kind of how I learned. Uh, call it free CPD, but it was, it was the best experience that I could possibly get. I was in a town which patients were probably a little bit more readily um, accepting uh, of treatment, and particularly with somebody who had not as much experience as, as the principal. So I was very, very fortunate, very fortunate. And um, after a year of, uh, a year and a bit of being there, I had finished the orthodontic diploma and, and decided to kind of pursue surgery a little bit more. Um, and then Instagram came. Instagram, I, I, I don't know, I don't know where to start really. Um, yeah. And it, it might seem funny to a lot of people. It might seem funny and stupid to a lot of uh, more experienced clinicians who have been there for twenty, thirty years and have slugged it out hard. But for me it was a tip in the scales. I began to get bored very easily. Um, I used to post cases on Facebook and I used to get torn down. Um, I still do sometimes, but, <laughs> um, it was, it was the Instagram community that I became exposed to that was completely different to Facebook, completely different. So that shaped the way that I practice. it. The people that I interacted with, such as yourselves, uh, such as Minash, um, All the guys in the UK, a lot of friends that I can now call family in the States uh, really inspired me to kind of lift the game because every day I feel like I'm living through these people's lives as well as they post their cases, post their complications, post their failures, uh, post their great cases, post tips. And for me, it steered me in a direction where my vision became, I want to know what he's doing and I want to do it better. No, no, no. I want to be better than who I was yesterday. Um, And it was funny because having that mentality, I then later on went to read a book by Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know Jordan Peterson. Um, He's got a book, it's called 12 Rules for Life. And one of the chapters is, you know, don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, you know? Um, So springboarding that into kind of everything that you do really inspired me to go ahead and meet new people, have an open mind and kind of, explore the different avenues that I maybe wasn't exposed to before.
1: And nice. and David, is is it is it through Instagram that you that you perform all the that you practice all the dental f- fields on such a high level? Like your preps look amazing, your surgery looks amazing, your your your
2: your implantology everything that you yeah, do everything.
1: Look, <laughs> looks amazing.
2: Um, you guys are really too <laughs> kind to me. you give me more credit than I actually deserve. Um, so, I, I became involved with a group of four guys, three guys, four including myself, uh, and you guys know them very well. Uh, you know, they don't need an introduction. I don't need to tell you who they are, but you know who they are Barat, Johan, and, and Aiden. The four of us ended in a group chat together, I think, end of 2016. Uh, Johan reached out to me. Uh, we'd never spoken before, we'd never met before. I'd seen his photo here and there and I actually thought he was a lot more of an experienced clinician, like duration wise, he'd been a dentist for longer than than what I had been. Um, And in that group chat, I mean, I, I didn't have passion for things like, you know, sexy crown preps. I didn't have passion for beautiful composites. Um, I had passion for surgery, I had passion for doing things well, but never to the level that I can now look back and say, wow, these guys really, really, really lifted the game day in, day out. We'd be in a group chat every day. Somebody would send a case um, and there was no sugarcoating. Tell it like it is. You know, I'd send a case and Barat, he's too nice. If you ever want advice about a prep or something from Barat, don't send it in a group chat. Send it to him privately and tell him, tell me like it is, because otherwise he won't. He's too nice. Like Brad's the type of person that will never hurt a fly. Um, But it was that constant positive uh, criticism and uh, constructive feedback that really helped me to get better. And I owe a lot of that to photography as well. I never used to document simple procedures like crown preps or composites um, or, or, you know, or endo. Having that camera always set up forced me to do that. Anything that I did, I took a photo of, and I would send it to Barat. You know, if I want help with a comment with Barat or Johan, help with surgery, I sent it to somebody who was a lot better than me at surgery. Um, I kind of dropped out of posting things on Facebook, and you know, every man in his opinion would be there, and it it was demoralizing sometimes. Uh, It helped me grow. It helped me develop a thicker skin, but at the same point. Sometimes you need somebody to tell you how it is in private, um, because that's how you really look back and reflect on your cases. Um, so those three guys really influenced my career uh, a lot, um, as well as photography. Yeah, photography yeah. definitely.
0: Well, it, uh, your story uh, s- is very familiar, I think, for for Frake and I. Um, uh, if I look at myself, uh, I I passed every year at dental school, but I was used to. Um, being good at stuff and always uh, passing my 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 exams and I almost filled my first year uh, on crown preps um, and and that was for me a big eye opener from okay I'm there's something that I'm not good at uh, even though I'm trying really hard uh, so in mm. my mind I was always bad at at preparations and that was for me one of my uh, motivations to to really get into ground preparation because I wanted to do better. Um, uh, so it's so it's really nice to to see how you can turn something that's that's negative into something positive And and even mm. um, yeah, uh, if people look at me, they probably say that I'm good at preparations. Well, if you look at me five years ago, I I, to- mm-hmm. I, I, I totally sucked at it. And uh, if I look at f- uh, if I look at Frake, and I don't know if he uh, wants me to tell it, but he filled He he filled his first year, <laughs> um, and if you look at his work now, nobody mm. uh, would ever think that he that he that he filled his work and or or his uh, or his study. And um, what you're saying about Instagram is is absolutely true. Um uh, if I speak for myself, I uh, was asked to give a presentation somewhere for young de- for young students that uh, uh, that were in den that were in dental school, but i didn't have any clinical pictures, so I bought a camera and I started documenting. Then I saw that my work was uh, way worse than it than it looked through my through my loops and that that, that for me was a big motivator and I took photos of everything and looked at every photo. I thought, okay, this looks bad. How can I improve it? And, and then uh, Instagram came around um, and um, uh, you try to raise the bar on every case. So you, yeah. you, you, you motivate yourself to do better each time. And that's why Instagram can be a, a huge uh, contributor to your dental career. Um, even though it sounds like something um, negative, if you if you ask older dentists, I think they will see it as something negative, or they will yes, tell you that un- you're unhealthy, maybe. Yeah, or that you're just showing showing off. But f- uh, for 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 me, it's a platform to um, to post my work and to see my own progression. And if I don't have Instagram, I would probably not pick up the camera as as much uh, because you're always in a hurry you always um you, you 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 always have an have the next patient waiting so if you don't if you take the pictures it will yeah um it will save you two three minutes a case so instagram for me is is just um a way to keep documenting and to keep uh keep uh progr- progressing and i think it's the same for for for, for as well
1: yeah yeah definitely i think i think um Without uh, without photography, uh, you you cannot have the same level of sophistication on your on your cases. Like, um, uh, on the uh, as as Martin as Martin uh, said said, um, without photography, um, you cannot truly really judge your work. I think m- maybe now now since we're using the microscopes, you can you can see better what it would look like on a picture. But I I was very surprised after I after I bought my first camera how, how my work looked on the on the on the photographs like mm. I cannot mm. I cannot share this. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and then and then you I start think... and then and then, and then first you start to you start to uh to learn um um when your work is ready to be, be photographed and I think you can translate that to um yeah to that in that in that that you can that true photo to through, through a photography you you learn when your work is ready when it's when it's finished when it's um when it's done and um mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's funny you say that i mean um sorry i'm just running a few points uh, based on what you guys have been saying because i, I think what you say is very, very true i mean looking at at the negatives of Instagram and we can see it. And, and Brad and I, as well as Johan and I and Aiden and I have had these conversations before about how dentistry can be used or how Instagram story, I should say, can be used for the negative. Um, a lot of times you see, you know, these really, really nice, sexy photos. Um, but that's just it. It's just a photo. Sometimes it's just a photo. Um, and sometimes people practice dentistry just for the photo, and I think that really takes away from our aim as clinicians, uh, what we owe our patients, what we owe to the profession, um, and what we owe to ourselves from an you know an honesty point of view, and going home and saying, you know what, today was a great day. I helped somebody. I you know I restored. I got that patient out of pain. I restored that broken down anterior tooth so that patient can walk out and be able to smile. Uh, It's not all about the photos. And I see a lot of younger clinicians, I'm not saying we're old clinicians because we're pretty young as well, (laughs) Um, but I see a lot of recent graduates that um, kind of take it to another level. Um, Their passion is amazing. Passion is amazing. But sometimes when the passion is put into, is is pushed by the wrong motive, um, then it can become a problem. So I think, uh, focusing on the purpose of what we're doing um, is more important than just getting the photo so you can get that social recognition or, you know, I can be noticed by this person or that person uh, or whatever. The second point was um, what Martin was saying, you know, you can see your progression. It's amazing because regularly, now I do this regularly, <laughs> I scroll back three years to the first cases. And- and third K posted. And I have a look and I tear it apart every single time. I look at it and I say, you know, what was that? What was I thinking? That suture was incorrect. Look at the sharp margin on that prep. I look at the unpolished composite surface or whatever it is. Um, and more frequently, I'm kind of scrolling back even less, like three months ago or five months ago or 12 months ago. And you look at your progression from six months ago, three months ago, and there is progression. We hope there is progression and it inspires you to say, you know what? I'm better than who I was yesterday or I'm at the same level to who I was yesterday. And then you can ask yourself why, you know, has work been unsteady? Have I been going through personal problems? Have I neglected picking up the camera? Whatever it might be. Um, reflection I find is, is very, very important when it comes to um, improving as a person and the way we do that is we need people. We can't do it ourselves. You, I always used to look at my work through only my two eyes. Um, when I show it to somebody else and they look at it and you know all the walls are down, there's no BS, there's no sugar coating, just hit me between the eyes and tell me exactly what was good and what was bad. And I kind of developed the ability to one, get thicker skin and be able to cop the criticism and take it as a positive um and sometimes it tears you down you know you're you're upset for two days three days sometimes i used to go into work and leave the camera in the car i'm like i'm not getting the camera today i can't take the photos after being slaughtered yesterday it's not happening (laughs) um but i think it's getting past that initial you know 24 hours um or 48 hours or however long each person needs to kind of get past that case um to be able to then say you know what i need to be better need to go back and do better Uh, and the last thing Frank was saying was um you know when you look at your work and you say the work's not ready to be photographed you learn to look at your work through the camera lens so you know you guys use a microscope i use five times magnification sometimes it's not enough because when you take the photo at one-to-one yeah it, it, it looks completely different to what we see through the loop so Absolutely. I've kind of learned to not doing it for the photo, but also knowing that if I take the photo now, it will show me where things are wrong and that will slow me down because then I've got to go yeah. fix it. Yeah. I can't let yeah. the patient walk out um, and that sort of thing. So I, I really like where the conversation's going because it's it, I can relate to it a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you summarized it really well. Like when you, when your work is not ready to be photographed, I think it's not ready at all. Because (laughs) if you think this will look ugly on the, on the picture, why would you leave it ugly? Why would you, why would you leave it like that? And yeah, yeah. That's a big thing I think.
0: And what I, and and what I also noticed is that sometimes you're so um, caught up in your treatment that you miss uh, other other stuff that is that is so obvious that is so obvious so sometimes i'm i'm so focused on an occlusal or 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 a, a museal preparation and then i look back at my photos and i see um, a crack somewhere or carrier somewhere something that i've completely missed because i was so focused on getting that mm. that treatment right and then looking at your pictures and because i take pictures from the beginning till till the end i always when my assistant is light curing or some or I have to wait or something I always scrolling through my pictures to see okay is there anything that that I'm missing right now because sometimes you you can get so caught up that you miss ov- that you miss obvious stuff for sure and um, uh, what, is dent- what is dentistry like down under? Is everybody in a private practice or do you have a government system or how does it, does it really work?
2: So usually when you're um, in your undergraduate or going through dental school, um, you do get exposure to the public system. Uh, I was fortunate because I went through a university where we saw private and public patients. So private patients would get you know, a 20% discount or 30% discount if they were getting treatment done by a student. Uh, so we, you know, we did crown preps on paying patients. Uh, we had to really develop communication skills because they're paying. It's not like yeah. they've been on a waiting list for three years and you're just the person that they have to see. No, no, no. Some of the patients were private paying patients. So we had to really work towards building trust, building rapport. Um, so we were fortunate in that regard, but I also really enjoyed, um, for that brief period only, um, the public system because you develop skills that you won't necessarily develop in private, um, such as extractions, being able to take out teeth quickly, effectively, efficiently, and painlessly. Um, that's something that you develop with, uh, getting more runs on the board you need to be able to do more extractions to get better. Just like anything, that 10,000 hour rule, you know, if you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you kind of become competent. Um, maybe not perfect, but competent. So I was fortunate. My last 18 weeks of uni completely was all uh, public placement. Um, I did a lot of extractions. I did a lot of full dentures. Um, I did a lot of uh, restorative work um not much root canals because the public system can't afford to pay for root canals, particularly on patients, if they're back teeth. Um, and for me that experience really highlighted as a person, and I hope that nobody takes offense to this, um, why public dentistry was not for me. Uh, I was extracting first molars on 12 year olds on 13 year olds. Yeah. And I would go home and it would just be like a very terrible feeling to go home knowing that, this person is now going to be dentally crippled for the rest of their life um, because they need to now rebuild where they are, where their teeth end up as a result of the consequences of this. Now, I understand finances do come into play, (coughs) but for me, I just couldn't live in that, (coughs) pardon me, I couldn't work in that environment. Um, it, It made it really difficult for me, but it also gave me direction. And the first job that I actually applied for uh, was a public job and I got it um, and I had one supervisor who for whatever reason decided to call the clinical academic who gave me the job it was in another state and she actually told them to take the job away from me um, and it came down to one disagreement that we had in clinic where I had a slightly different treatment philosophy or I kind of uh, we disagreed on something I can't remember what it was And I think she didn't like it. And (laughs) that was the best thing she could have done for me um, was to take that job away from me. At the time I was really upset, really upset. I was like, you know, we're taught to be, you know, clinically evaluative to evaluate everything. Don't take anything as gospel question, everything that's before us so that we can learn the reasons behind why we do things. Um, so it was upsetting at the time, but looking back, it was, for me personally, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. So we do have public systems. There's a big shortage uh, in the public system, and there's a lot of dentists who are very skilled that work in the public system, but for the most part, uh, private practice. And we do have a lot of corporates and we have a lot of insurance based practices. Um, they're becoming more and more widespread here in Australia. Um, So you can work in clinics, which are affiliated with an insurance company, or you can work with a a clinic that is completely set up by an insurance company. Um, And usually those practices are, they tend to be a lot busier, but at the same point, they're more volume based practices as opposed to kind of boutique style uh, clinics. Um, Yeah.
0: And if you, if you look at your, if you look at your clients, are they only from Sydney
2: or are they from, from, from all over the country? Um, so I only moved back to Sydney in February last year. Okay. So, so I, I mentioned my boss who I worked with for three years. Um, he was in a, I was in a regional town in North of Queensland, um, about 180 to 200,000 people in, in the area and surrounding areas. So you're right. I used to get patients that would come from seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours away. Um, and that for me highlighted the importance of photography even more. Yeah. I had one case, which I distinctly remember, um, where I you know, I did a second stage uh, recovery uh, and I put two healing abutments on and the patient came back and I looked and I wasn't happy with the emergence. So I put two bigger healing abutments and I sent the patient away. I uploaded the photos and I could see that the tissue was just strangling. Like there is no blood supply at all. These gums are going to die in the next hour if I don't do something. So I called the patient and she was coming from three hours away. So fortunately she was only 45 minutes away. So she drove back another 45 minutes and I <laughs> removed the healing abutments and replaced them. And she went back, I slept well that night. So it was overall it was a, it was a learning experience for me, but it was something that kind of highlighted for me why, why photography is so important. And I got into the habit of actually making my patients wait in the waiting room until I review the photos, particularly okay. with surgery. Yeah. Uh, because the best time to make any changes was then and there. After you've reviewed the photos is the best time to make any changes, particularly with surgery. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Um, and uh, what are your plans for the future? Because you, 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 were, you were planning on uh, doing a, a, a photography course with Barat in, in May, but I think that will be postponed yeah. due to the coronavirus. Um, but what are your plans for the future?
2: So, yeah, I mean, this course was uh, a long time in the making with Barat. Uh, We'd spoken for a long time and toyed with the idea of what we should do, when we should do it, are we ready? Um, And we had a lot of inquiries about people asking, you know, what lighting systems are you using? Uh, And more importantly, I think what people forget to take away from that course is the aesthetic case presentation. Anybody can take a good photo. um, But if if you don't develop that eye for aesthetic presentation that Barat has taught me, like I have learned so much of that from Barat um, and it makes me look at my cases and how I present them. You know, sometimes you look at a surgical procedure and it, the result is fantastic. The photos are probably pretty good too, but the way it was presented kind of takes away from, from the result. And that's not to take away credit from the dentist or whoever did the procedure, but I just find that in this day and age, particularly when we are in a lot of competition, with other dentists and uh, other clinics and corporates, etc., uh, the importance of clinical photography as well as um, aesthetic case presentation has now become elevated. Um, I think it's more and more important these days. So Brett and I had the difficult conversation about a week ago. What do we do? Do we postpone? May is still six weeks away. And then we said, you know what? It's probably the right thing to do right now to, um, you know, Email all the participants and postpone it. So it will be happening hopefully at the end of the year uh, or later in the year. God forbid, uh, if things get worse uh, earlier in next year. Um, but I think it's 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 something that has helped us. So we want to make sure that you know it's available um, for the up and coming generation as well, um, as well as a lot of experienced dentists. We had a lot of that just email us and want us to. To kind of share with them, you know, how to incorporate it into their practice, um, and I think it's it's important. It, it's something that is very important. I'm currently an associate dentist, so I work I work across two clinics mainly, um, but I also do some uh, referral-based sessional work. You know, one day a month or one day every six weeks in three or four other clinics, where I do mainly surgical procedures. Um, and if uh, my own clinic presents itself, then I'll welcome it. If not, then it's what's meant to be and just kind of see how we go. But I'd really like to be uh, involved if it's in a group practice or a partnership with somebody who is like-minded, who inspires me to be the best person of myself and better than who I was yesterday. And hopefully I can have that effect on on them and and, you know, you grow together. When you grow together with somebody, it's beneficial because you support each other in the bad times and you celebrate with each other in the good times. And I think that's a, that's a great feeling that shouldn't be taken away from dentistry, particularly in a profession that can be so isolating. Yeah.
0: And, and do you, and do you think you will ever do a partnership with, uh, uh, with Aiden or with Bharat or with, or with Johan in a clinic or are they too far away?
2: Um, Aiden and Johan are in Sydney. Okay. Um, Barat is on the Gold Coast. Um, look who knows? <laughs> uh, it's not something that's kind of been discussed, but you know I, if the opportunity did, it would be such a difficult thing to turn down because I've already seen the influence that they've had on me from a clinical point of view. Uh, I can only imagine that the influence that they would have on me on a, you know from a management or a business or, no. or a combined point of view would be immense as well. so it'd be something that'd be definitely very difficult to turn down
1: it w- It would be a fantastic team and um i yeah. I, I, I yeah i think um, um, when uh, Martin and I would work at the same practice, I think it would be yeah i think we would like um, yeah it would be next level in the way how we communicate i i I worked for a brief period with Jasper, one of our founders of karma, and we mm constantly walked into each other's rooms and showed on their camera look what i just did and (laughs) what do you think (laughs) what what do you think uh, i should improve change or improve and um, i think that's a fantastic opportunity if you if if, mm, if the mm. opportunity ever arises and um, i have one more question because you you happen to be patient of tony rotondo right
2: (laughs) (laughs) I knew this how question know was, coming. This one was How did I know this one was coming? <laughs> <laughs>
1: have you have you ever have you learned something from him? Or it, was it was it like a big coincidence that you that you walked into his practice and said, Hey, I want to be patient here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um so I reached out to Tony um probably about three and a half years ago. Uh Matthew Casey, my old boss did Tony Rotondo's full mouth rehab, did Tony Rotondo's um, uh, implant residencies, Uh, not Tony's full mouth rehab. Tony doesn't have a full mouth rehab. (laughs) He did his full mouth rehab course and his uh, implant residency. Um, And Matthew actually, Tony used to live an hour from where Matthew Casey's practice is in Townsville, uh, Tony's family. So I, I heard this from Matt that sometimes Tony would treat his family in Matthew's practice and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what, Uh, made me aware of who Tony Rotondo was. So I personally went through orthorontic treatment, uh, implants, the whole deal. So any procedure that I've done on myself or I've had done, I offer to patients. So I practice what I preach, you know? If I talk to a patient about an implant, I've had an implant. If I talk to a patient about orthorontics, I've had orthorontics. If I talk about soft tissue graft, I've had a soft tissue graft. (laughs) (laughs) So I reached out to Tony Rotondo um, just before my implants were ready to be restored towards the end of my orthodontic treatment um, and connected we spoke uh, he said you know I'd gladly take on your case uh, at the time I was living in Townsville so it was probably going to be a, a two-hour flight from Townsville to uh, Brisbane uh, it didn't end up occurring in the timing that I'd hoped uh, I had a lot of Personal events and stuff, and you know, dentists make the worst patients, right? We we always look after our own oral health and stuff at the end. Um, so, I got around to it when I moved back to Sydney. Um, so I've been flying backwards and forwards for about three or four months now, probably a little bit longer. Um, and honestly, I walk into Tony's room and I'm just I'm just speechless. Like his his demeanor, his the way he speaks to you, the way he um, Looks and critically analyzes, and more importantly, just as a person. I think there's a lot of great clinicians out there, um, but what makes these great clinicians people who will never be forgotten is who they are as people before who they are as a dentist. Um, and I can confidently say that Tony Rotondo is one of those people that will always be remembered for who he was as a person as well as a dentist. Um, and yeah, throughout the treatment, he'd tell me, hold up the mirror. You can have a look at how I'm going to polish this and how I'm going to do that and how I'm going to shape the temporaries, and I'm very, very fortunate. I look forward to every appointment, even though I'm flying to Brisbane and sometimes staying there overnight or flying there and flying back the same day. I always look forward to it. I always look forward to catching up with Tony. I always look forward to seeing him, and I always look forward to his cases. Um, So he's a very, very uh, humble clinician, Whose whose hands, honestly, I don't think can be compared to anyone else.
1: <laughs> I think I think we experienced the same thing. He was he was uh, lecturing uh, for the for the Dutch Academy of Esthetic Dentistry in November, and mm. um, um, he had the opportunity to do a composite course by him for one day, and then the day after he lectured for um, a couple of hours, and and everybody was just speechless and. Uh, as well uh, and as you said um, maybe even more because because of his personality how how humble how humble he was on the stage and um, like truly wanting to learn or something and
2: yeah yeah it's funny because I I had an appointment with him two days after he got back from (laughs) Amsterdam so I said to him I said you met my friends and he goes, "All your friends?" And I showed him the photos, and he goes, "Yes, yes, I did meet them." So it was only two or three days after he came back because I remember you guys messaged me while he was there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So when I had my appointment with him, I said to him, "I've just spoken to Martin and Frank, and they're saying that you know they had a really good time with you at the Dutch Academy of, of Dentistry." And he, yeah, he kind of uh, he kind of said that you guys were great, and he had a, a lovely time there as well.
0: Nice. I'm <laughs> no I'm not looking up the picture with him. Let's see where I have it. Because Frank and I took a picture. <laughs> Let's see where it is. Um, I don't know if you can see it.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: so that was really nice to meet him and uh, and see his work. And what I also really liked about that lecture is that he um, that he also showed his long term results. So also patients from over fifteen years. And it was not all, it was not all good. Those patients came back with chipped edges and teeth uh, broken down, and that was really nice to see that somebody can present on a on a on a beautiful level. But if they don't show their failures, uh, you always have the feeling that they are hiding something. And he showed everything, and that's also something that is that was really really nice to to, to see. Yeah,
1: uh, and he was absolutely. he was very he was very honest, and he, maybe he even the 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 topic of his presentation was even mainly failures like um he presented that composite he really loves composite but it it will break it will <laughs> it will yeah. be destroyed by the patients and um he showed us yeah. how it how it gets destroyed and uh, what you can do after when it get when it when it is uh broken
2: so yeah yeah, yeah. very inspiring yeah definitely definitely
0: well, I think we're, uh, uh, we're now at the end of our podcast. Uh, we would really like to thank you that you wanted to, to, be, uh, to be a guest at our podcast. Um, thank you. Thank um, you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you.